0: Open your Bibles to Matthew uh, chapter 22 as we come back to our study of this great gospel. Our uh, culture is like uh, just about anyone else, maybe more so consumed with the subject of love, it would seem, and so many various uh, formats and uh, mediums. People celebrate love, but their notions of it seem to vacillate between, on one hand, some form of sensuality or on the other hand, some, some form of banal sentimentality. All of these things just expressing people's notions of love but fixing a foggy target on what they're actually aiming at. People are always missing the mark. And we find ourselves living in a shockingly unloving society in fact the world was shocked this week on the testimony on Capitol Hill from three uh, university presidents of our most prestigious schools in the nation who were asked a simple ethical question a simple question of whether it is wrong to call for the genocide of a people and they could not answer that basic question with a clear answer People are shocked of where love has gone and where brotherly concern has gone. They're shocked by a world that seems increasingly filled with hatred and vitriol and perhaps it's because we just have more awareness of it. Maybe uh, our mediums and uh, all of our technology has brought it uh, more into our view, but it certainly seems like as the years go by, the world becomes more and more hateful, less and less loving, even though it is constantly celebrating the issue of love. There are movies that are made to to to, to celebrate this. there are songs that are sung to celebrate this, there are poems that are written, there are novels, there are all sorts of uh, medium and literature all designed to put forth the idea and the importance of love and yet the world doesn't seem to know how to find it or what it is or how to be satisfied with it. Unfortunately, even the church hasn't escaped the confusion. They have, following the course of this world, embraced a view of love that redefines not only the church but redefines God in some sort of marshmallow sentimentality. He is a divine cuddly toy that's always supposed to give you perpetual smiles, constant affirmation. He's to represent transcendental niceness. But any notions of judgment, any notions of moral sort of clarity is eradicated from the modern gospel and from the modern view of Christianity. And it translates into a world in the church where people find it inherently unloving to talk about what they consider to be divisive topics that is to say doctrine and morality and truth and someone has to stop at some point and ask the, the basic question how do we know love I mean who gets to say what love is how do we define it where do we know how do we know where it comes from How do we recognize it if we were to see it? And is it just everybody's own definition of love? Uh, Does it just sort of come down to that? What leads to a loving society? How are we going to get there eventually? Or is all of this just a big game? Just a mask that people wear? Just a word that they use to cover over their own selfishness and to present it as socially acceptable? Because they label it as love. Are we just left with an inherently selfish society that is plunging more and more into an unloving world? Well, today we have an opportunity to answer all those questions and more as we come to Matthew chapter 22 and in verse 34 through 40 because this is all about love. Jesus is talking about love He's helping us to define love. He's telling us where it is defined and where it comes from, how you know it. It is a a question that Jesus is asked, not so much about love, but about the law. It's another question that comes to him on a day of questions, a day of controversies and, and confrontations. And it's actually a confrontation that elicits this question. He had been in a dispute with the Sadducees, his enemies, one of, his groups of, one of the groups of his enemies who were questioning him, you remember, about the resurrection. And having dispatched them with so much skill, it has raised or piqued the interest of one certain lawyer, a, a Pharisee, we're told, but a, a legal expert. And he probably, sitting back and listening to the whole ordeal Maybe having certain ideas about Jesus, he suddenly piqued with curiosity. This this man who could so easily deal with so many questions that are put to him, and so easily uh, uh, do away with even the the Sadducees, the ones who controlled the temple. He's he's curious now if Jesus might be able to answer a question that has been plaguing him—a question about the law. And about the Old Testament. And this is what we read in verse 34. When the Pharisee heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and all the prophets. Now the importance of this statement is self-evident. Jesus is saying this is the greatest commandment or the two great commandments. So, So it's evident that this is important, but it is not evident to everyone why. Or I should say, it's not evident to everyone why this is relevant, or or how to understand what Jesus is saying here, because many people read this and assume that Jesus is saying that law. Excuse me, that love trumps law. What he's saying here is that we have to somehow replace the law of Moses with the law of love. That now that Jesus has come and now that the gospel's been given and now that the New Testament has been written and passed down to us, we now operate under a new law, not like the Old Testament, which was full of all these judgmental and harsh and, and critical and stern rules and regulations. Now we operate under a brand new system, a, a system of love that didn't exist in the Old Testament or wasn't very evident in the Old Testament. And so we have to learn now to replace all of those laws, to get rid of all of those laws and to replace them with this new focus on love, loving God and and loving others. That, that includes getting rid of all this discussion about various sins and all these ethical issues, sexual, moral issues that all arise out of that mentality of the Old Testament that's all about naming what people do right and what people do wrong. We need to get beyond all of that stuff and we need to just focus on love. But of course, that's not what Jesus is saying. Not in the slightest He's asked a question about the greatest law in the Old Testament, and he basically gives two laws, which he says uh, he, he doesn't say su- supersede or or undermine or replace. He says they summarize, or all of the Old Testament, he says, depend on these two. They uphold and they undergird. They give us in summary fashion, they express in a short and a clear way the most important ideas, the main ideas that arise out of the law and out of the prophets. That's basically what Jesus is doing here. He's saying that when you fully understand the Old Testament, when you really understand the law and when you really understand the prophets, this is what they are explaining. This is what they are getting at. This is what they're defining. They are defining love. You might say, well, I, I don't like all that sort of Talk about laws and regulations. I don't like all this talk about doctrine and Bible study and and knowledge and all that stuff. I just am all about loving people. Well, you cannot know how to love people unless you know all of those doctrines, all of that truth. Or another way to say that is to the extent that you understand God's truth, God's law, God's prophets to the extent that you understand those things you are prepared to love biblical love doesn't nullify the law it fulfills it it completes it in fact let me show you a passage over in 1st Timothy chapter 3 if you have your bibles you can look over there the way paul deals with this subject he is writing to a young Timothy probably 30 years old who has been left on uh, in the um, city of Ephesus he's been left there to help the church understand some key central truths paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 3 i urged you when i was going to macedonia remain at ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach Different doctrines or strange doctrines, nor to devote themselves to myths and to endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is. By faith, So Paul's saying, look, the church there, it is consumed, it is eaten up with people who all day long, all they want to do is they want to engage in speculations. They want to engage in these endless uh, debates about myths and about genealogies, all this speculative and, and uh, strange doctrines. Paul says in verse 5, But the aim of our charge or the aim of our instruction, you could translate it there, the aim of our instruction is love. That's its goal. That's what it's all shooting for. Everything that we teach, everything that we're promoting, all the sermons and all the Bible studies and all the doctrine and all the discussions, all this stuff is all aiming at producing love that issues, he says, from a pure heart and from a good conscience, and from a sincere faith. In other words, if people are really going to, uh, to uh, embrace and, and, and are really going to experience what we're trying to promote in the church, they're going to first of all have to have a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. Those three qualities are essential For love, he says. And so what we do in order to promote love is we promote purity and we promote a cleansed conscience, a pure conscience, an undefiled conscience. We promote sincerity or a lack of hypocrisy or you might say a consistency and integrity and honesty. Why? Because all of those things are essential foundations to really love. They are necessary to really love. And so Paul says that's what we do. That's what we spend our time talking about. That's why I left you there in Ephesus to promote all of those things and to develop those kinds of qualities within people because this is what doctrine is supposed to do. It strives for love. Now I want you to notice in verse 6 because he immediately contrasts this. With these teachers in Ephesus who he says, particularly in their handling of the law, certain persons by swerving from these, that is these, these three qualities, have wandered away into vain discussions, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they're saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. So there had drifted into the church people who were wanting to teach the Old Testament, they were wanting to teach the law, they had all of this confidence, all of these assertions, all of this authority they had all of these insights, I'm sure, and connections and cross-references and, uh, and ways that they could explain the various laws. They could do all of this stuff that was very captivating and very intriguing for the congregation. But none of it produced what? Love. None of it produced love. Love. So whatever they thought they knew about the law, Paul says, they don't even understand what they're talking about. They know tons of the Bible. They know tons of verses. They can teach with so much authority, but because what they're teaching doesn't arrive at the final result of love, they don't even understand the law. Because why? That's what the law is about. That is what the law is about. The law and the prophets, all of them are summarized in this way. And to the extent that you master and understand that Old Testament, to the, to the extent that you fully comprehend everything that you're supposed to comprehend about the law and about the prophets, to the extent that you comprehend all of that, then you define love. And you begin to understand love. And it becomes the core of your teaching and your doctrine. Now, this is affirmed over and over again, not just from the words of Christ, but from other New Testament writers. Paul says in Galatians 5 14, the whole law is fulfilled in one word you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Or in Romans 13, verse 8, the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Or The commandments, he says in verse 9, are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So love is the fulfilling or the final product. It fills out the law. It brings into manifestation the law. This was incredibly clarifying for this lawyer. He would have, as I mentioned earlier, he would have Been engaged in these kinds of discussions, he would have had this question on his mind because this was a common question among Jews. They had identified in the Old Testament 613 commandments or laws, and on top of all of those commandments and laws, they had stacked a whole host of oral laws that were intended to help apply those 613. And then on top of those oral laws, they had all kinds of commentaries that had abounded and uh, volume upon volume upon volume of rabbinic writings that were all devoted to explaining and, are, uh, and, and systematizing and helping you understand these laws. And, and you can imagine when you have that amount of material, there's some desire to want to know how you can get your arms around it or how you can categorize it or how you can navigate through it so it was a natural discussion for them to then begin to talk about which of all of these laws are the most important Uh, if i have only a certain amount of time to study which which of these laws should i focus on and then by extension there was a discussion about which among those important laws which of the ones are most important so, even in ancient Jewish writings, there were discussions among the rabbis about the most important laws. And so, this, this, this lawyer, this Pharisee, would have had this question on his mind. And having heard the wisdom of Christ on how he's been dealing with all of these opponents, his curiosity is piqued. And so, he steps forward to ask Jesus this question. And he asks him, What of these laws? is the most important. Jesus tells him, it is these two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might and love your neighbor as yourself. This is what all of the Old Testament hangs on. Jesus is not setting in contrast love and law. He's saying that if you want to understand love, then you must understand the law. If you want to uphold love, then you're going to have to uphold the law and the prophets. Or you could reverse it, that if you want to understand love, then you're going to have to understand the law and you're going to have to understand the prophets. Now, that's uh, easy to say, but what exactly does that mean? I mean, how do we really uh, take that and help ourselves to understand love? Well, uh, we can look at these individually and and kind of unpack them a little bit in our minds to, to get at that. Jesus is telling him by way of these two commandments that this is the summary of what God was seeking in the Old Testament. First of all, in verse 38, verse uh, 37 and, and, and 38, he's telling us that the law can be summarized, first of all, as loving God. That, that's, that's his assessment. And he To do that, he quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Now, in citing that, this would have been uh, not surprising to anyone listening, even especially to this lawyer. He would have gotten no pushback from anyone because this was one of the central verses in all of Judaism. It was known as the Great Shema because that is the opening word in Hebrew in Deuteronomy chapter six, verse four. The word Shema in Hebrew is the word for listen or hear, and so Deuteronomy six four says, "Hear, O Israel, Shema Israel. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one." You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Jesus declares this to be the greatest commandment. And as I said, it wouldn't have shocked anyone because this is what every Jew recited or read aloud every day of their life. It was like their national motto. And so there was already a prominence that was given to this. And consequently, when you read this account over in Mark's gospel... When the lawyer hears Jesus say this, he responds by saying, you're right, what you say is true. he's, He's able to readily recognize that this is the most important commandment, but he probably didn't understand why. In fact, many people don't understand why. Because by saying that All of the law hangs on this verse, or this verse, you might say, summarizes the Old Testament. Jesus is declaring that behind every commandment, behind every prohibition, behind every prophecy, behind every warning of the prophets, was God's desire for love. He wants to produce love, or he wanted to see love. In other words, this is going behind the mere point of obedience to some rules and regulations. This is getting down to the level of motivation. Love for God is intended to be the motivation that stands behind all of God's commands. If you dig and you dig and you dig down to the bottom of obedience or actions or behavior, what you'll find is motive. And motive tells you everything about love. You'll find what you love by what you do, what you say, what you pursue, even what you believe. And the same is true behind all the laws. It is the laws are a description of what life looks like when you love all of the right things, particularly God. When you have all of your loves in the right order, the Old Testament describes what that life looks like. In other words, if you really love God with all of your heart, you will love Him through His laws. Your motivation will be to reflect His laws and His commandments and His righteousness because every one of those laws, Jesus says, depends on love. Every one of them is built on love. Ultimately, whatever you love or whomever you love, whether it's the God of the Bible or whether it's some other God or some other person or some other thing, that's ultimately what motivates and determines everything you do. It's true today as much as it is any other time. I mean, if you blow through a stop sign, if you blow through a red light, certainly you have the potential of of getting a ticket if someone happens to catch you or has some camera on you or something like that. But when someone does that in front of you and, and you see it, it you, you feel a sense of outrage, not because someone has violated page 313 of Code 12, Section 6, Letter A. It, it, it bothers you because you say instinctively somebody could have been killed. Somebody wasn't thinking of someone else. Someone was not aware of the danger that they're putting other people in. That's what enrages you when someone violates a law in civil society today. It's the fact that they're only thinking of themselves and they're not properly thinking of other people because what is ultimately at the heart of what they're doing is a a lack of love for others. All of your motivations drive what you do and love's drives those motivations or it doesn't. And so what Jesus is saying here is that God desires a relationship that is based on love for Him. And He embedded it right in the book of Deuteronomy. Right at the beginning of that summary restatement of the law. He wants you to love Him with all of your soul and with all of your mind and with all of your heart. Comprehensively, we might say. It's interesting when you see this verse quoted in different places uh, in, the, in the New Testament. Uh, there, it's quoted in the different gospels, but never exactly the same way. Sometimes uh, the biblical writer will leave out one or, or another of the words. Some of them leave out the word mind. Uh, one of them leaves out the word strength. One of them has all four words of uh, mind, soul, uh, strength, and heart. And so you get the idea that it's not the individual words so much. It's, it's not even the sequence of the words or any of those other things. In fact, there's a lot of overlap between the words that are given here. The idea is not for you to parse out all the various words. The idea is for you to get the comprehensive nature that it's the entirety of your being, that it encompasses not only your mind and your intellect, it encompasses your emotions, what we might say are your passions and desires, your affections, your choices. God demands that he be the first love in all of those categories. That you are to desire God and you are to love God with the entirety of your faculties and your being all that you have and all that you are god is to govern your emotions he's to guide your thoughts he's to be the, be the dynamic behind all that you do john stott here describes this as seeing quote all things from god's point of view and to do nothing without reference to him to make him his will our guide his glory our goal to put him first in in thought word and deed, in business and in leisure, in friendships and career, in the use of our money, time and talents, at work and at home, End quote. A comprehensive nature so that you don't, uh, you don't uh, bifurcate your life, you don't have times when God is foremost and paramount on a sunday morning but on monday morning when you clock into the to your work somehow god is given a back seat he's just explaining that all of the scripture all of the law and the prophets are basically describing what a life looks like when your loves are in the right order in your heart anyone who sees what jesus is doing here and somehow imagines that he's trying to pit Love against the law isn't understanding. People conclude all the time that we as Christians ought to be less concerned about moral and ethical questions, less concerned about sexual wrongs and deeds, about about equal and fair treatment for all people, about honesty at all times and in all places. We shouldn't be so particular about our ethical I's and T's because it's all about love. It's all about love, they say. And so if you're lying or cheating or doing whatever you're doing, but you are doing it out of love, that's really okay in the minds of too many people. That's not what Jesus is saying at all. He's saying if you really understood love, you wouldn't be lying and cheating. You wouldn't be treating people the way you're treating them. He's teaching that not only should we be attuned and attentive to God's word, but we need to be attuned and attentive for our motives in keeping it. He's not trying to replace law with love. He's trying to get you to not follow God superficially, to follow his lo- law superficially, to read his word superficially, to offer your praise and your songs and your acts of obedience and your religious deeds without a heart of love. This is always what God has despised. You look into the prophets, this is what he what the prophets are calling out in Israel over and over and over again. What they're calling out is the tendency of people to offer sacrifices without really offering their heart. To offer up prayer and praises when in fact they're not offering it from a loving heart. God is not interested in the mere obedience or the mere adherence to some standard or regulation, but those standard and regulations are meant to define for you what love really looks like towards God. And so what men and women need is a heart that loves God rightly. And what the law does is it exposes you. It exposes you. Because you can't keep all those laws the way they're written. You can't do all those things the way God commanded. You can't live up to the standard, and so what is exposed is the fact that you don't love God. You may say pe- tell people you love God. You may think that you love God. You may tell me you pray all the time, but what the law says about you is you don't love God. You don't love him the way he demands to be loved, with all of your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. There are gaps. Sometimes enormous gaps between your claim and your behavior. And so you are measured by the law of God and found to be someone who doesn't love God. You may love your sin, you may love yourself, you may love all kinds of other things, but you don't love God the way that you need to love God, the way God demands that you love God. And even many times, when you are keeping various laws of God, you're not keeping them with the right motive. You're keeping them, but you're not keeping them from a heart of love. There is reluctance. There is resentment. There is all kinds of mixed motives and self righteousness, but not really done the way God wants them to be done. So, the point of all the law and all the prophets was not only to expose your heart, but to get you to love. And of course, to understand that you can only ever do that one way, and that's if God gives you a heart to love. Paul says in Romans chapter 5 that the Holy Spirit has shed abroad God's love in our hearts when we come to know Christ. That is to say, when you are exposed in all the ways that you have resented and resisted God's law through all of your years, when you are exposed to someone who doesn't love God, God provides them the answer through Christ. He not only forgives all of your lack of love, but he offers to give you a new heart, a heart that can be filled with the love of God. He can shed his love abroad in your heart, make you a new creature Set your heart and your affections on the right things and begin to make you love righteousness because you love God. So that's the first commandment. That's the first way, he says, that you understand the Old Testament. The first and great commandment is that you love God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength. But there's another one, he says, a second commandment which is similar to that. And he gives it in verse 39 where he says the law can be summarized As loving others. This is just a a natural extension of the first law because when you wholeheartedly love God and love His will and love His law with the right motives, it's going to naturally lead to an expression of love towards other people. That's why James says in James 2 8 that if you fulfill the royal law according to the scriptures, You will love your neighbor as yourself. He calls it the royal law. We know what royalty is. Royalty refers to kings and emperors and and, uh, sovereigns. Royalty refers to the person who has control over an empire or over a territory. And so James is saying this is the royal law. This is the law that controls and governs all other laws. It is the ultimate outcome of all the laws that you love others as you love yourself. And so this is what uh, Jesus is teaching here, that this law, the law of the Old Testament and the prophets and everything that's embedded in there, all of this is aimed at the goal of not only getting you to love God, but it is getting you to love other human beings the way that God would have you love other human beings, And again, this gets to the level of your motivation. He wants you to love others, but he wants you to love them. Or he he wants you to serve others, but he wants you to serve them with the right love, with the right sincerity. That's what's communicated through this loving your neighbor as yourself. That's built, by the way, on the assumption that you already love yourself. You already love yourself. You say, well, I, I mean... I don't always love myself. Sometimes I'm quite disappointed in myself. Sometimes I'm frustrated with myself. Sometimes I, I feel terrible about my own imperfections. But in spite of all that, even when you are tempted to be impatient with yourself, you ultimately come to the place where you recognize you have no other choice, right? You're stuck with yourself. And so what do you do? I mean, you get up and you feed yourself the next meal and you clothe yourself and you seek opportunities for yourself and you try to help yourself out along the way. That's what you do because you're not inherently disinterested in yourself. You're not inherently unconcerned about yourself. You might be tempted to be impatient with yourself, but still when you are needy, you occupy yourself with meeting the need. When you're hungry, you occupy yourself with feeding your body. When you're sick, you naturally want to seek out comfort and you want to find the proper care when you're tired you seek out a place of rest when you're in danger you look to protect yourself when you are attacked you naturally want to defend yourself when you succeed you enjoy the congratulations that come along with that and when you fail you seek mercy from those around you. All those things are the natural inclination of your heart and flesh. And so Jesus is saying what you naturally do already for yourself, just do it for other people. Help them in their need, show them mercy, congratulate them, help them find respite and rest when they're tired, show them care and love and concern when they're hurt or when they're ill, provide for them, feed them. All of those things which you naturally do for yourself, that's what you do for other people, and that is love, he says. You do that for yourself even in spite of your own imperfections. Even knowing that you are not a perfect person, even knowing that you've made mistakes, guess what? You still love yourself. You don't give up on yourself, right? You may, as I said, be frustrated, but you recognize that you're just human, And so you don't stop caring for yourself because of those imperfections. Same thing's true for others. And so Jesus takes all of those measurements of self-love and he applies them all to your relationship with other people and he's saying this is essentially what the law and what the prophets are aimed at trying to get you to do. So that your motivations and your actions are and your speech, and your prayers, and your gifts, and your time, are all aimed at serving others. And all of this measured by love for yourself. This is what the law was trying to do. And again, if you're going to properly understand the laws of God, if you're going to properly understand the Old Testament, you're going to have to understand them through that blueprint. You're going to have to understand that, uh, from the point of view of of the law, it is defining ultimately how unloving you are. See, if you had love, the proper amount of love, and the proper love for everybody else, you wouldn't need laws like "don't commit adultery" because you wouldn't do that kind of unloving thing towards your wife and towards your children, towards your spouse. If you had love, you wouldn't need laws that say do not murder because you'd never murder someone you love. If you had love, you wouldn't need laws that say do not steal. You wouldn't steal from somebody that you love. You wouldn't need laws to say not to covet what belongs to someone else. You wouldn't need laws to say honor your father and mother if you had love because you would naturally do that. If you had love, you wouldn't need laws that tell you to avoid sexual immorality and fornication because you would never violate somebody that you loved. It's only when you don't have love, it's only when you have self-centered and selfish pursuits that you need laws to help reorient your thinking back to what is truly a loving response. So Jesus is saying, this is where all the commandments are pointing. This is where all they're all leading. This is what they all hang on. This is how they're all summed up. Law is not pitted against ethics. Law is not pitted against morality. Law uh, is not pitted against love. They are intertwined. They, they uphold and depend on one another. And so Paul says in Romans 13, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the commandment. It is the summarizing. It is the clarifying principle of what pleases God. By the way, Paul says that in the context of a discussion of civil laws as well. Romans chapter 13 is all about submitting to the governing authorities that are over you. And it's actually as an extension of that explanation, as an extension of explaining why you submit to the governing authorities that Paul says that the law says love one another. In, in reality, it's a direct extension about his discussion of taxes, He actually says that you're not supposed to owe taxes. You're supposed to pay your taxes because you understand that the governing authorities have been established by God and no authority exists that hasn't been uh, appointed by God. And so whenever they tax you, they're taxing under the authority of God and then Paul says in response to all of that, owe no one anything except to love each other for the one who loves has fulfilled the law. So, so whenever you are loving uh, others, whenever you are obeying the civil laws, whenever you are operating as a uh, as a member of society and abiding by all these things, you are keeping the law. By the way, I love that analogy when he says, "Owe no one anything except to love." You know how that works when you want to get rid of a friend, what do you do? You lend them money, right? Because they see you coming down the hall and immediately, what do they think? I owe you whatever, $20, $100, whatever you loan, loan to them. And they start to avoid you and they start to duck out of the way because they, they're always thinking, they're, it's always on their mind that they owe you something. Well, Paul's saying that's the way we ought to be with love. You ought to see yourself as constantly in debt, constantly in need of making another payment, another installment. Always, when you see that person, instead of thinking, well, I owe them $20, you ought to be thinking, I owe them an act of love. I owe that person a word of love, a deed of love. I am indebted, continually indebted to all these people around me with a need of loving them. And that's fulfilling the law. And so when you see other people, you ask, what do I owe in love to them today? What payment have I missed? How am I going to make up that payment to them today? This is what God was after. What he despised was any form of religion that missed this. What he despises is any form of worship that misses this, any form of obedience that misses this. And this was Israel's fundamental problem. This was the problem of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and everyone who eventually called for the crucifixion of Christ. This is the problem of every person that's been born in this world and whether they're Christian or Buddhist or any other religion, this has been the problem of mankind from the beginning is that they are content to either offer no worship to God or they offer some form of worship and religion that is absent from this. It is essentially unloving. Self-centered, sometimes self-righteous, often self-indulgent, but at its heart, it's not loving. And even for us today, we have a tendency to forget that this is what God wants. That He wants comprehensive love from you. That here on a Sunday morning, when you're singing, when you're praying, when you're worshiping, when you're with other people, this is what He wants. He wants love. All of your love heart, mind, and soul. He wants to be the supreme love. That's the key to understanding the Bible. That's the key to understanding the Old Testament, the New Testament, the prophets, the law. That's the key to understanding it all. God wants your heart. God wants your love. Father, this is, uh, it is clarifying It is refreshing, but it is also exposing to us as we think about the demands of your word and your truth and your law. It does indeed expose our hearts are not in the right place all the time. Our love expressed through the weakness of our flesh and our heart is sometimes barely a flickering flame. Sometimes it's just a smoldering wick. It's not what it needs to be, O Lord. And we need Your power and Your Spirit to breathe life in us, to fan the flame of our heart and our love, to stir us up again so that we can offer to You what is pleasing. Not only what is pleasing, but what is right, what is blessed that we can love you with all of our heart and mind and soul. We pray today that you would help us to do that by the power of the Spirit, by the truth of the gospel. Forgive us for not loving you and help us to love you the way that we ought. We pray in Christ's name, amen.